What? How come I'm not in trouble? Even though what you did was wrong, you're still a good kid. That guy was a prick. Sometimes that matters more. Do you know the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy. The Coffee Smash Welcome back to the Coffee Clatch crew. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And I'm Ryan Gemmel. Back again. And today we're discussing Mr. Robot Episode 9, Mirroring. Mirroring is directed by Trisha Brock and written by Sam Esmail himself. I think it was my favorite so far. Just because of the background information that we got on all of our characters and the questions that were answered, it leaves me wondering where they're going to go with the season finale now that we've gotten so much information. Yeah. Yeah. Just the music that really got to me. I was so psyched about the Pixies. So psyched. And we'll definitely get into that. Um, Before we get into episode nine, we asked our users last episode to email us with any questions or predictions that they had. And we also went on Reddit and we went into some subreddit forums for Mr. Robot and asked them. And we got some responses. Yes, thanks everybody for your feedback. The first email is from Joel in Grand Rapids. He says, hey guys, love your podcast. Theories about this show are pointless, but I have a new one anyway. I think given the revelations in the most recent episode, this show is going to more closely follow the themes and mental illness explored in the film Memento. In both cases, there was a traumatic event or loss. In Memento, it was the death of Leonard's wife, and with Mr. Robot, the death of Elliot's father. In both cases, the main characters have memory loss or have blocked the truth as a defense mechanism in order to handle the pain. Both can be taken advantage of. Leonard in Memento had already found and killed his wife's killer, but kept forgetting her so he didn't have to deal with the pain. Elliot is vulnerable in the same way because he's hurting and wants revenge. Mr. Robot, Terrell, and White Rose could use his memory issues to their advantage to further their cause. I know it isn't 100% and other movies are playing a role, such as Fight Club, Dexter, The Matrix, and even Star Wars, but the similarities are too obvious for me to ignore. That was from Joel in Grand Rapids. I didn't get the Dexter so much, and the—I mean, I guess with him having a passenger, what did he call his in Dexter? It was like a oh yeah, his... dark passenger or something. Or that's right, you're right. Like that. Joel, yeah, thank well, you for that. I, yeah, yeah, I see a little bit really of the cool. other shows, but definitely Memento. We went back and. We kind of re-explored the plot. Yeah, because we remembered watching Memento, but we didn't remember enough to really speak to Joel in an educated way Mm -hmm. in the similarity. So we went, allegedly, we went on YouTube and found it for free. (laughs) And uh, we watched it over again. (laughs) And the first three quarters of it, I was like, you know, I see the similarities and he forgot, but I don't see it so much as it's Elliot but then the last quarter of it or even the last 15 minutes I was like holy shit this could be exactly the same yeah the big difference being in Memento he was trying so hard to remember at least certain things that would help his mission whereas with Elliot it seems there's a part of him that's actively trying to forget and when it comes back it's very difficult for him to deal with but 
Yeah, both of them dealing with the loss, potentially the trauma they've gone through and other people maybe exploiting that and using the memories to their advantage to further their own causes. Well, it definitely seems like that with, uh, you know, he's in his head, but he's exploiting the fact. And, and Darlene is definitely kind of taking advantage of or at least turning a blind eye to the fact that he may not might not remember her exactly and the main character in memento he doesn't remember people in this story if it doesn't go along with him forgetting that he's already made up or that he's already killed the killer of his wife right but he's actually doing it to himself and that's one thing we haven't found out if Elliot is doing it to himself and making himself forget or if this is a mental game or something mental that is doing it subconsciously without him trying. In Momento, yeah, I, he was I actually think it's probably a, a combination of those two things. I, I think there's a part of him that it's, it's very difficult. You could see when he has the confrontation with Darlene, when she pushes him to remember and he's trying hard, then it comes to him, oh yeah, I do remember, you are my sister. So I think there is an element of that potentially at play with Elliot. It's not obvious yet, but I don't feel that the people around him are trying to exploit it. No. It didn't seem that really, way. But Oh, see, that's where I disagree. Maybe not exploit it, but they are using it when it's convenient. We see that in episode nine, that Elliot's father doesn't want to share the whole truth with him when they have their showdown early on because he's afraid it's going to derail him. If he needs to remember right now, he won't be able to complete the mission. But that is Elliot, you know? Yes, that's true. You also get a piece of that with Darlene later on. Yeah. When they're talking in his apartment and she's telling him whether you remember or not, this mission is something we need to go through with. And who knows how much of what she's saying to him is true or not. I mean, she obviously knows that this is something that's happened to him before. So yes. she can't be totally unaware that something like this could happen again. No, it's just how much does she want him to remember or forget? Right. But I feel like she's trying to make him forget, not for her own benefit in regards to pulling off this heist, but but more of for his mental health to keep make him happy. She wants him to be happy. You really think so? I think it's for the greater goal of F Society's mission. Yeah, I mean, from what with what Angie and Darlene were talking about Dar when Darlene was coming at Angie about not wanting to help find Elliot that Angie's saying that Darlene hasn't really been in the picture that much. She just started having he just started having problems again once she came back to the city. Right. And it seems like Darlene could be like something that could spark this kind of episode. Yes, and why does she spark that in him? Why does it get worse when she's around? And what is the question she leaves him with on the train? Oh, Do you remember that. when we first started F Society? Right. I can't wait to find that one out. I love how this episode, they were able to sum some things up, but also ask some pertinent questions to keep us hooked even more. They've had three, well, counting episode 10, which we haven't seen yet, but I'm going to predict that it's going to be a great finale. Essentially had three episode finales in a row. Yes. Yeah. You know? It does seem like they're 
you know, they could leave it at a cliffhanger at each one of these points. Yeah. And it would be satisfying to get you hooked onto the next season. Exactly. Yes, I wonder if the sequel won't be similar to Game of Thrones, where you have the penultimate episode nine, where the action happens or the death of the characters, the major climactic moments. And episode 10 is more of a wrap up, get you to a good place and excited for season two. From the previews, it seems like some crazy shit is going to happen. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really think Fight Club Part 2, or right after the end of Fight Club, where we see how the world goes into chaos after the explosions. after the explosions and yeah. credit is erased. That's how I felt it was ending, you know? Yeah. So moving into the next episode. So, Joel, thank you for that email. That was great. That brought up some things that we weren't even thinking about. Memento. I forgot about that show. Movie. We also uh, went to Reddit and we got a comment in regards to episode eight. Yes, this one had some great theories coming out of episode eight. This is from Plunkety. They say, F society would be fools to trust the dark army. Probably not a surprise to anyone, but we could see the plan is not going to go down as hoped. Most likely for problems is because of their hidden agenda. Also, White Rose's timeline is not completely arbitrary. She's a time hacker and imbues mystical significance to time. But there is a reason the attack needs to be completed by the deadline given. Mirrors might be explored in the next episode. Elliot and Tyrell, Darlene and Angie, F Society and the Dark Army, Christina and Elliot's mom. This goes back to what we discussed a little bit in the last episode. Is Dark Army for the good or are they going to have problems with them? And what is White Rose's agenda? Why do we need to have this happen on a certain timeline? They've got to have something else going on, right? They need to, that they're taken care of in order to put that kind of timeline on it. They got yeah. something that benefits them, right? Yeah, does that work for F Society's cause or against it? I don't think it's going to. They always seem like they're not on the same page. They shut it down last time. Or maybe they just know something that he doesn't. Who's that? Or they don't. That Dark Army or White Rose oh. know something that F Society doesn't to stop them from going through it last time. I feel like with the little that we have seen of White Rose, I feel like she's a step ahead. Yeah. Anyone knows anything, she knows. She probably knows what his mental issues are. Elliot's. <laughs> She's got to know, right? Yeah, she did know about Gideon spying on Elliot or being at least uh, suspicious of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe she's not completely willing to leave everything up to Elliot because of his issues. And that's why she was pushing him so hard in their meeting. That this has to go 100% right or they're not going to go through with their part of it. Right. So Plunkety feels like there's going to be a showdown between F Society, or Elliot, and White Rose. And the Dark Army. I wonder, that could be season two. That could be that the big arch arc yeah. in season two. Yeah, that might carry over. We might not see that in the season finale. That's, that's actually smart. I wasn't even thinking that far ahead because I've been so bogged down with, you know, the things that they're throwing in front of our faces right now. So again, thank you, Plunkety. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you for everybody that responded. We will get into some of the responses for episode nine as we go along. And if we can't read everybody's on this episode, we'll do our best to get in as many as we can. In jumping into episode nine, we have some notes for the origin of the title, as usual. In computing, mirroring is publishing an exact copy of a data file or a link to an identical copy of a file. 
For this one, we see the extension QT is a QuickTime file. We also talked a little bit about the music when Elliot and Tyrell get to the arcade at the end and the cover of Where Is My Mind by the Pixies comes on. Ugh. This is a not-so-subtle hint to the final scene in Fight Club. So like that scene, the main character has been disconnected from the fictitious person he invented. Like that scene, it isn't clear what will happen next. And again, the music is setting the background for all of these plot developments. I love how it was a little wink. It was like, and obviously this was written and shot before they started the show. So they had a feeling that we would know uh, yeah, as the definitely. show went along, that this is like Fight Club and Mr. Robot is not real. If they tried to just hide that fact, I think it'd be worse. But the fact that they gave us a wink and they're like, same song, this is what's up, an homage, yeah, per se, you know, I think that made it cooler. Yeah, I definitely feel like they knew the whole time and they kept, Elliot keeps saying, like, did you know? Did you know the whole time you I knew love that, that this was going to happen? And we... We kind of had a little in, inside info on that, that there was something up with him, that it was too much like this. We knew more than he did, but we didn't even know that we knew more than he right. did. Right. Really. We weren't sure if we knew more than he yeah. did at the time. We're seeing throughout a lot of these episodes, the music set the backdrop for the plots. There was an interview with the guy who does the music and the scoring for Mr. Robot. His name is Mac Quayle. He's a rising star in the music world, building an impressive resume as a composer for TV and feature films. He began with Cold Case, went on to assistant compose soundtracks like Drive, The Company You Keep, and Contagion. In 2014, he went solo for the documentary Autism in Love. His ventures into TV have steered towards the darker side, working on American Horror Story Freak Show and the upcoming Scream Queens on Fox. And he's doing a great job with Mr. Robot, as we've seen. He's been doing it He's every episode that he's in. Yes, yeah. he says that Sam Esmails and the creators of Mr. Robot tell him where they want silence and where they want music. And he inserts songs as well as scoring. And sometimes he will make suggestions on parts where he thinks it should be silent. Yeah, I think, yeah, the music has been awesome yeah. all throughout. I love... Uh, some of the you know newer music that they put in there, that they sprinkle in there. I do too. That's why I put it on the backdrop of our episodes because they're, they're just awesome. Yeah, really, really. They work good. perfectly. There's such a wide range. We had classical last week. Yes, he also said that he talked for a while before beginning this endeavor with Sam Esmail and decided the feel, the mood that he wanted to go for, and it was mostly electronic. Outside of the songs that are played, the only instruments that are used are the piano. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. I hadn't thought too deeply into it. Me neither. That's uh, I, I'm sure it's one of those things that I'm sure affects me on a level that I'm not aware of yeah, some with the music. Definitely. You know? uh, one thing to note, we, we didn't say it up front. Myself and Ryan are in studio, and today for the first time, Christina is on Skype. So if everyone's like, why does Christina's voice sound so weird? And, and that's just technology fucking up. <laughs> Sorry about that, everybody. I'm out of town. This is my first time. That was perfect. Not being president studio. <laughs> you like, it like paused you right in the middle of saying, yeah. sorry, everybody. Buddy. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> but it was perfect. Point in case. Well, I also have a few technology notes for you before we jump into the synopsis. They talked about encryption. This basically encodes any data in a way that only an authorized person can view the real content. Mm -hmm. Most file encryption possesses some type of password that unlocks it. 
Elliot adds, the encryption key will self-delete after the full process is complete. From what I saw with the encryption is, and what Elliot did, and what they revealed I thought was really cool, was that it was like a virus that came out, I think it was last fall it became big, uh, CryptoLocker. Yeah. And basically they would, the malware would infect someone's computer, encrypt every single file on it, and then it would splash the page. And you had to buy Bitcoins or... You had to pay a fee. I think there was another way to pay, but mostly it was bitcoins, and that they would give you the encryption key to decrypt all your files. Ransomware is not new, but in the past, they gave you a warning, said they were going to lock up your computer, and a real good IT person could probably unlock your computer. With this, they are actually encrypting your files, all the data, the pictures, the video, the Excel spreadsheets, everything you need and want is encrypted with really high state-of-the-art encryption that no one can break. And unless you get the key to open it, all those files are worthless to you. The question everyone asks is, should I pay the ransom? It's hard to say, yes, you should pay a bad guy money, but if you don't have those files backed up and it's the only way you can get them, you might want to think about doing it. There's no guarantee they're going to give you the key to decrypt it. Some people have written on blog posts that they did get the encryption key and that the files did open up, and others have written they got the key and it didn't work or they didn't get anything. So it's a shot in the dark. That's why the important thing is to have your files backed up so you don't get in this situation should the worst happen. And they basically pushed this, the Bitcoin way higher than its value. It yeah. just started to skyrocket after that in total value is really, really clever way where I think that virus was almost just to push mm -hmm. the value of Bitcoin up. And I mean, they made a, a lot of money off of it too. So Yeah, I remember that. That was last year. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were... Did they find a way around it or...? They just uh, were able to block it with uh, different, you know, uh, virus scans and but what if you already had stuff. It? If you already had it, there was no way around it. So you couldn't go to Best Buy and get it fixed? No, not any, unless you had a backup or something that like sucks. that that wasn't infected. So, See, I feel like there's got to be a way to arrest someone who can do that to you. Yeah, I'm sure if you find that person that does it, you can arrest them, but that's, you know, it's kind of hard tracking them down. That's scary, knowing that everything's going digital now. Mm -hmm. The other important tech point we see in this episode is redundancy. When they talk about China, this refers to another information backup system based overseas that requires the fellow hackers to help destroy. Many companies store redundant data in other countries. This way, a physical catastrophe would not destroy everything. The data in the other country could be replicated to replace the destroyed stuff. In this scenario, everything must be encrypted or destroyed at one time. This is why they're relying so heavily on the Dark Army. Yeah, they mentioned that in uh, in the sec third episode, second, when he talks about Steel Mountain, because Steel yeah. Mountain is where they keep their backups also, and that was one of my biggest problems in the first episode, I think I said this already, was that they were talking about destroying all the servers of this company to erase the data. I'm like, that's not going to do anything. They all have hard backups saved in Iron Mountain is what it's really called in reality. So okay. Steel Mountain is what they call it in the show. <laughs> So I just th I just thought it was interesting. I was ha so happy that they talked about that in the second episode. And fixed it. And, and it wasn't a loophole. Hey, it's me, your subconscious father. You will fall. Just telling you to rate and review the Coffee Clash Crew podcast on iTunes. You will fall. Give us a four-star rating. Give us a comment. You will fall. Hook us up. You need to do this. Your life depends on it. You will fall. Everything is dangling from a window. If you don't rate us, 
you will fall. You will fall. You will fall. Episode 9 opens up with a flashback, which shows a young Elliot and his father in his computer repair shop, Mr. Robot. We see a 1994's Best Buy sign, old computers and equipment. We also get a glimpse of the beginning of Elliot's father's sickness. We see him teaching Elliot life lessons. I don't know about if there are great life lessons. <laughs> yeah, but it's something that he really does live by now. He says, even though what you did was wrong, you're still a good kid. That guy was a prick. Sometimes that matters more. Right. And essentially, F Society is based off of that. Right. That's true. You know? So, it, it was very key to his development as a person. I love the nostalgia of everything. Yeah, it was really cool. You know, it. you had NES uh, games and, NES. and a couple of systems. And then when Opening he got that... Opening up with the floppy disks. Yeah, oh, yeah. Peeling the stickers off for some reason. I don't uh, know. I think because... What he was doing is when there was freeware that people were trying to get out, mm -hmm. they would be presented in floppy disk format. So you would get all this freeware sent out. So they, there was all these extra uh, discs. discs. So what he would do is he'd get them, take off the tape, erase them, and now they're free, empty discs. And yeah, really I remember like doing that. I remember taking like AOL discs and then, you know overriding them, using yeah. them for something else back and in the day. Peeling off the tape. So I just essentially left it, but Well yeah, you weren't trying to sell it. Yeah. But I also love the the phone conversation that they had, uh, that he had with the customer. It it just reflects on like nowadays people will buy a computer because of its aesthetics. You know, it functions, it does what you want it to do. But then as it gets older, you just throw it out, you mm -hmm. buy a new one. But back then it was more about geeking out on you know, what kind of internal stuff you had in there. It was really hard back in the day to, to build a computer, getting all the drivers together. Yeah. The internet wasn't the, what it was now. It was very, very, you had to call people on the phone and oh, try yeah. to get stuff sent to you in order to get your computer work. It took a lot more work than it does now. But Yeah, and, and actual repair was important, but I think we're seeing that based on the customer's comment who comes into the store, that Mr. Robot is struggling, that this is not exactly a highly no. successful repair shop. Yeah. Because they were already starting to make big commercial companies that could just kill the mom and pop shops. Yeah, he says that when he leaves. He's like, you know, forget it. I'll go to Best Buy. Yeah. I don't need to deal with this. What I, I wish was it would saying, have been CompUSA. That's just yeah. me because I don't <laughs> feel like Best Buy was as prevalent then. Back then. <laughs> what did you think in general, though, about this scene? Instead of building like we normally do in episodes where... We jump right into the action of the present. We're not quite always sure what's going on, and the reveal comes at the end. Here, we had a flashback. We had this slow building up of realizing Elliot's past, what his father was like, their interactions together, and really learning what we've been waiting for this entire time about how they relate to each other. Not necessarily knowing for sure if that meant his father was alive or dead at this point, but it was some good background, and I really like when it pans to the outside of the shop. There's a sign underneath that says, the wait is over. And I thought that was very meta, as though the oh, wait wow. is over for I us as the viewer, because we're seeing the background. Oh, yeah. I love that. And we finally got to know what the show's name, Mr. Robot, was really all about. Where it came from. Because I'd always say to people, like, have you watched Mr. Robot? And they're like, eh, no. And I'm like, it's not about a robot. Right. It's about mm -hmm. blah, 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 hacker. 
And then I always thought, still, it wasn't concrete enough to just say, like, they named a show because this guy's name was Mr. Robot. Now we know it was the store that he right. grew up in, his father's store. Well, he, he was, I mean, he is Mr. Robot Mr. presently. Robot. Yeah. Everyone calls him Mr. Robot because it's the only name we know him by, but no one's ever called him that in the show. Right. Well, no. But one, he wears he, a, he wears a jacket with the little lapel Mr. that Ro- says "Mr. Robot" on it. But that it. wasn't enough for me right. to name the whole show. But now it is because right. of the whole background. He, Elliot, grew up in this shop called Mr. That's, Robot. Yeah, that's who his father was to him, and that's why we should have known in that moment for sure that it meant he was dead because we are seeing Elliot in the present, remembering his father how he was back then. Yeah. I, I, well, when we first opened into the scene, I wasn't sure if we were seeing something. I didn't know how far back we were going. I was thinking maybe he was renting some retro store. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's what he did when stuff. we didn't and see then, him. Yeah, when we yeah. didn't see him, that's what he did as a job. Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe he's not. And then once uh, they you looked around and saw Best 90 of 1994, Best yeah. Buy, and then, the, of course, the Pulp Fiction, looking at it in the paper, and... Like he, Elliot saying, "Let's go see this movie," or pointing mm-hmm. to it. <laughs> I mean, I remembered that that was '94 because I don't know. It was just such a big year. So many big. I think Forrest Gump. It lost to Forrest Gump that year. Oh wow! In the okay. Academy Awards. And you, you also said his, his father didn't know what Pulp Fiction was. He right. said, That's "I don't right. know what that is. Uh, Can I take you to that?" <laughs> and you also stated there was other homages. To Pulp Fiction. What were those? It was just a line he says later on uh, when he's talking to his father in the next scene. Uh, he says, uh, uh, he asks him if he's okay, like, calm down. He's like, you okay? Nah, man. I'm pretty fucking far from okay. And that's what Vin Rames says to Bruce Willis after the scene with Zed and him being raped. Yeah. He says, you know, Bruce Willis says, are you okay? And he says, nah, I'm pretty fucking far from okay, man. (laughs) So maybe these are his two favorite movies. Oh, not two favorite, but these are some of his favorite movies, which is... Obviously his influences. Fight Club and... Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool. I thought it was really cool. I got to stop saying I think it's pretty cool. It's obvious, I think Pretty cool. It's beautifully cool. Any of that, just... (laughs) Listeners like, yeah, we get it. You think it's a cool show. Not just cool. <laughs> Pretty, Pretty cool. cool. <laughs> we got to talk about the splash screen. The Mr. Robot screen was the logo of the store. Every every title episode, sequence. every episode, it m- opens with Mr. Robot in that retro yeah, the title sequence. wording. Yeah. And that was splashed on the screen and uh, just stayed there. They didn't put, they didn't have to put it up then. I thought that was really, really cool. The very way they did cool. It. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even... Beautiful. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Then we move into the interaction between Elliot and his father. Elliot's mad that his father didn't tell him what's been going on. How did he turn up here after all these years? What happened to him? His father tells him it's about us doing something important. He didn't want him to remember because he thought it would derail him from the present mission. He says there are people out there that do not want us to work together. He thinks there's people following them, controlling Elliot through doctors and drugs to keep him in a fog. But Elliot needs to know the truth. And of course, we learn later why he doesn't want Elliot to fully comprehend what the reality is. But in this moment, I don't think we know that for sure. I think it was really interesting. He kept trying to get him to be quiet, not yell. Yeah. 
And I guess he just didn't want other people to hear him screaming at himself because then they would come and see if he was okay. Yeah, maybe you're right. And do you think there was really people out there looking at him, looking for him? Those guys in suits? I don't think so. I think that was just his paranoia. Yeah, just I like think that was, on the train that tracks. Was answered, yeah, that was answered at the, the train, train station tracks. when we realized that was just some random guy. I thought I recognized you. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? And it's not for me. No. I don't know that person. The following scenes will be a little out of sequence, but I just want to follow the character of Gideon all the way through this episode because the times don't so much matter. The first scene we see is Gideon and I think his boyfriend, mm -hmm. his fiance, whoever this is, having breakfast together. Gideon is stressed out, thinking that the incident will take down all safe if it hasn't already. The boyfriend tries to comfort him by showing him that what he does have is their relationship. And I think this is the show giving us yet another parallel between power and advancement versus relationships and emotions, showing a statement about what happiness is. Gideon just seemed really nervous uh, about that whole day. He, There's obviously bothering him going into work like that. And, yeah. uh, it, and then him explaining that it's basically... This is what he does and is supposed to prevent, and we didn't prevent it. They've failed yeah. completely, and it must be terrifying to him to know to fail on that level, or at least uh, you know very uh, depressing, or you know making just makes him feel shitty about his, what he's been working towards this whole time. I felt like that scene was Gideon basically saying goodbye to us. Like, I don't think we're going to see much more of him now. Well, we saw him more in the episode, but yeah, yeah I, but I, I, I get that. You know what I mean? It was the formal goodbye, and we'll just mm. see him. He was still in the background in those episodes. Right. Yeah, I, I think it's also them showing us this is the one situation I believe we've seen so far where the happiness is being derived from the human interaction and the boyfriend sort of saying that's what's really important in life. The next couple of brief scenes with Gideon, the first one, he finds the fire at the place where Elliot was supposed to bring the hard drives and realizes everything is gone. Yeah. Yeah, and Christina didn't realize what that place was at first. And, mm -hmm. and if anyone didn't, it was where Elliot went to have his meeting with White Rose, and right. that's where he brought those two hard drives. Which was great because White Rose says... It doesn't matter. It's not going to matter. She puts her cigarette out in the hard drive <laughs> yeah. disk, and she's like, don't worry about that. It's not going to matter. Yeah. So Gideon But you, knew just, you just feel your heart <clears throat> going out to Gideon throughout all these episodes, just one thing after the next, slamming him, this really good guy who just can't get his stuff together. Next it's not that he can't him. get it together. It's just, well, I mean, really, it's more like he's ha running into bad luck. Like he ran into this train that was Elliot and he couldn't get out of the way of it. No, it was already moving. Already yeah. had momentum. And Elliot did not want to run him over. But it's obvious that this guy is getting run over. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. He can't get out in front of it. Everything he tries to do, by the time he gets there, it's blown up in his face. The next scene is him telling Jim over the phone that he did not make the request to remove the honeypot, that their company was infiltrated and he wants it removed. But Jim tells him that Terrell has already confirmed the order. It's too late for him to stop it. And said not to put it back. It really was in that scene, that's after Terrell was fired, so... What was crazy, you could just, everything was working against, again, working against Gideon. And yeah. there was just, and it, it was so perfect how the murder 
of Sharon worked into that, how Scott's not there either because he's dealing with this murder and how Tyrell's not there so he can't put a stop to it either. So the whole company is kind of on hold. Mm-hmm. And what they don't know is that this hold that they're under is destroying them from the inside. Yeah, I'm not too sure that he made that that Tyrell said not to put it back up after he was fired. I think he did that before he knew he was fired. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, the fact that he wasn't oh, there, there meant that he couldn't. they couldn't get it taken down right away. Right. They, they were in transition. They didn't know who to... <laughs> there was no one to talk to, no one the next in line when the CTO and the vice CTO, is that mm-hmm. what Tyrell's actual position is? Yeah, cause, yeah, because the last scene with Gideon is when he actually goes there and he tries to see Scott, like you said, and the secretary says, definitely not now. You haven't heard. Yeah. And that's how they leave us. Oh, I feel bad for Gideon. Poor Gideon. You love Gideon. I do. I like nice guys. They remind me of me. Yeah, and what is the show telling us with the one guy that we can definitively put that label on, that he's a, good, a good guy, guy. out there, the and this shit just keeps happening to him? In corporate America, it doesn't pay to be nice. Yeah. Now we move on to Angie and Darlene. We'll continue back on our time sequence here. Angie goes to the lawyer's office to, quote, help with the case. Really, she's looking for a job, and she tells her how she quit her job at Allsafe. She can't work there. She really can't work anywhere, and she needs to find purpose. But the lawyer isn't there to do that for her. Yeah, I felt like the lawyer was a little mean about it, but I guess she didn't have the time to deal with this woman's emotions. She's already knee-deep. You could see how everything's going crazy there. But you can't, she can't trust Angie at that point. She knows what Angie did to get, she lies, basically. She says that she had the debt file and put it in there, broke chain of command. Right. So how can she, how can she feel safe having someone like that as working on her team? Oh, yeah, you're right. And we know the whole backstory now on this lawyer that she spent a good part of her career trying to fight this and lost almost everything in the process. The fact that she's even pulling it back up and trying to give it another go. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So next, Darlene calls Angie and says she's looking for Elliot. And she says that you're the one that found him last time when he was like this. I really need your help. They go to their runaway hideout where Elliot always used to go. I found out. I wasn't sure. This place is the Queen's Museum. Mm-hmm. Angie says she can't help because she doesn't really know Elliot anymore. And we can't keep protecting him from himself. She also says that him and Darlene were never really that close. And he was doing fine until Darlene came into the city, like we talked about before. That's when Angie says she wants the truth or she can't be involved. I don't know what this switch in Angie, I mean, yeah. I guess because of the time and he couldn't help her with the, well, the, he just talked to her about the hack. I don't remember what their big, like what he could have done at that moment or what she wanted from him. I think she wanted him to speak to him. You know, I think she was fed up that he never speaks to her, right. he never tells him her what's going on. Yeah, he's been lying to her, and, and her biggest point is that he doesn't seem to want help. Until he's ready for that, it does no good, their attempts. And she has her own issues right now. She's probably, like, the last thing she wants to deal with. Yeah, I mean, this hack is obviously something that she's not uh, not proud of. And yeah. So she doesn't really want to talk to him about it. We've seen her distance herself from Elliot in the past. In the first episode, she right. won't talk to him because he sticks up for her. And she That's tells right. him not to, you know, not to stick up for her. 
And then, so it's almost like she's saying, don't help me, even if I fail. And then when he doesn't help her, mm-hmm. she's pissed at him. Yeah. I, you know, as a whole, I think this show's pretty pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty great. Are you sure about the great? Pretty good? I, I, it might be. No, well, you're right with the two O's, but you put a C in the front and then an L at the end. I think you it's got what you're cool. looking for. I think you got what you're cool. looking for. Pretty cool. <laughs> the scene where Joanna starts talking to him, and at first I wasn't quite sure when she says, he reminds me of her, the new baby. I thought she might be talking about an abortion, but we find out that when she was 15, she had a baby girl that she put up for adoption, and she can't forgive herself for it. She also tells Tyrell that she doesn't want to be married to a man like that, and if he wants to stay in the family, he has to fix it. Part of what I found interesting here was they've seemed to be somewhat emotionally distant throughout the season. They don't know some of the most important moments about each other, such as what happened to Joanna in her past, and now is this split going to cause them to go further apart? They're definitely taking Joanna in a direction where I didn't want her to go, mm-hmm. basically. She's, it's, I mean, they're painting her off like she's just... just a bitch. Yeah, well, not just that. She's only there for how successful Tyrell yeah. is, and that's it. So I, I wanted her to be a little bit stronger of a character because um, she Me seems too. like a strong character, uh, but I don't know. I think they were trying to show her strength in an odd sort of way here by also making her seem sympathetic that there's this this weight of something she's been holding for a long time that clearly affected her on a deep level with her first child that she hasn't felt able to tell Terrell, or maybe she hasn't thought he could handle it, and this is something she's been carrying around until now. I can't imagine it being something that I would want to tell people about if, if I had a child and and then gave it away, because yeah. you'd want to be involved. It, must be, it would be incredibly difficult to do something like that, It'd and be- then to be reminded in that moment of, what, of the first child. Yeah, which she was going to give for adoption. Right. Yeah. She she did give for adoption, and even the way she describes the process, all the paperwork, like filling out for a mobile plan, and then having to give it away to these parents who seemed okay then, but are they still that way now? She clearly has a lot of questions still about what happened after that moment in time. Is there any chance that that baby is White Rose? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I You know, I got it... I may be really wrong on this, but I got it as if the baby died. Because she said it, it reminds me of... She gave it, it said that she gave it away and filled out those forms. That's why I thought the same as Christina. Okay. That uh, she she that one thing gave it up for adoption. Okay. Yeah, she she gave it away, but I think, you know, maybe in a way in her mind and her emotions, she had to kind of cut it off for a while. And now she's forced to think about it again because of the resemblance with the new child. Okay. You guys are probably right. I just had in my mind that, you know, she did all the paperwork for the adoption, met the family, liked the family, but then had a stillborn baby, which, you know, negates the agreement. So, but I'm probably way off on that one. Then we move over to the scene with Terrell and Philip in the office where he approaches him and tells him the company's in a delicate situation due to Terrell being a person of interest in Sharon's death. He says he doubts Terrell's involvement, but nevertheless, the problem must be fixed. So Scott will stay at the company, but Terrell is fired. 
at this point, again, they're using the music again. This intense music starts up as Terrell escalates to his freakout, which we find out Philip is disappointed by his reaction. He's been going through what he thought it would be like, and it was nothing like this. And Terrell winds up begging him not to do this, not to fire him. Well, yeah, he screams at him first that he can't do this, but I, I can't imagine it being that different of a reaction. I mean, yeah, what you else just did he accept expect? it. I don't know. I was I worried that he was going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> when he grabbed his hand, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, it's going down. In my mind, I think Philip expected him to react in a way similar to how he handled Scott in the boardroom where he was trying to play him mentally, mm. trying to um, go sentence for sentence in a power play and maybe figure out a way that he could still be useful even more so than Scott, that Philip would benefit from keeping him there. And he can't even get to that point. He's so emotionally distraught over not being able to fix this situation that he literally just breaks down. And then uh, the CEO says that there was a mistake in his past that led him to this moment. And he's, that he needs to go back and find that point and fix yeah. what it is. I don't know if he... Do you think he he's thinking about that? Do you think he's heeding that advice at all, uh, trying to go back to fix something? I mean, maybe that's what led him back to Elliot in the end scene. Hmm. Yeah, what does he call it? An obsession? A point of obsession for Terrell? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't remember. I thought that was interesting phrasing. Yeah. I remember that when they were speaking, I just kept staring at those paintings behind them. There was two big paintings uh, with a lot of red and a lot of black, thick paints. So like, I almost felt like I could touch it and feel the texture. And I know that that was there on purpose. And it was very volatile, those paintings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it just added to the whole scene. Yeah. It was, it was pretty good. <laughs> Next, Mr. Robot takes Elliot to his childhood home. We start out with the two of them at the train station, and Elliot's talking about how he was young. He looked so forward to their trips to the city together. He would calculate the probability of certain trains derailing. So on the way there, he would pick the car that was least likely to do so, and on the way home, the one that was most likely. And his father tells him he's going to take him to exactly where he's been this whole time. He'll show him. What did you guys think about that interaction? It's obviously an interesting point of view that he's willing to... He's so upset about leaving something that he likes that he's willing to kill himself, in a sense. He mm. want, that's what he's looking to do. He's getting the probability of the most dangerous dream, so he'd rather die than go back, come back. Yeah, that speaks at such a young and tender age. It speaks very strongly to the development of Elliot's character, I think, and his psyche that these moments were so incredibly powerful for him that he spent with his father, that he was willing to do anything, maybe to get out of the home, away from the situation that was happening there with his mother, potentially, but just about that. so eager to spend time with him that he's thinking of such a thing at that age, thinking of which cars are most likely to make it there. Oh, yeah. And, you know, on the way home, yeah, whatever happens, as long as they've had this moment together, even if everything ends then, it's, it's better than going back to what things are back there. 
one of the first instances of this episode where Elliot talks to us, and I love that. He says, calm down. I will figure this out. Trust me. It's all starting to come back, and once we get the answers, I'll be back to normal. Except that my dead father isn't really dead and is sitting across from me. (laughs) And he's really relating the thoughts that are going through our minds as viewers. Like, are we going to figure this out? When are the answers going to come? What are you going to be like when that happens? And is your father dead or alive? Yeah. We just had to, yeah, we just had to keep watching at that point. We <laughs> couldn't do anything. We just stay calm. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll figure it out. And, yeah. and next they do. They return to the old home where they have this interaction, this, this almost mm-hmm. type of showdown where Elliot winds up hanging the father out of the window. And they talk about this exact same incident that happened when he was younger. And supposedly the father pushed him out the window Elliot starts saying how he thought he deserved it, but the father is telling him it was Elliot's own guilt and anger at himself this whole time, and he just needs to let it go, at which point Elliot pretty much says, you're right, I'll let, let it go, go, and he yeah. lets you know his father fall out the window. But really, in reality, he what jumped. happens is he falls out the window. Yep. He pushes himself out or lets himself out the window. So this is the second time or maybe the third time, I think the third time. that he punished himself for his guilt. Yep. And the, yep. This leads to my theory. I think that he pushed himself out the window the first time. His father was already dead. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm thinking. And that he t- told his mother that he knew after he died, or at least when he was very close to being dead, that he knew that he had leukemia and he had known for a while. Mm-hmm. And that guilt, and that is why she's been so mean to him in all those scenes, is that she's mean that... She's upset that he never told her oh. about it when they could have done something about it. I still don't know if that completely answers the secrets that Elliot told about his father. They made it seem like it was secrets when he was still alive. And I'm not sure, but I definitely agree with Elliot throwing himself out the window when he was young. Mm-hmm. And now we know throwing himself off the pier at the beginning mm-hmm. of this season. And now out the window. And now out the window again. Yeah. Same window. Mm-hmm. At this point, Angie goes to Elliot's home looking for him. He's not there anymore, but she does find Darlene. They leave when the new family comes home. As they're hiding in the backyard, Darlene apologizes. She tells Angie she should be more open with her because she's family to her. And while hiding there, they see the broken glass from the window of Elliot's room. And I think they start to put everything together at this point. Yeah, it was interesting them breaking into the, that house again. And then them talking about the family that lived there and how he was a creepy older guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that had any significance. Yeah, if that was going to come up again or anything. Yeah, I was wondering why they kept bringing up about this new family that lived there. Yeah. And then Angie and Darlene follow Elliot to the graveyard. First, Elliot is helping his limping, injured father to where he's leading him in the cemetery. Mr. Robot leans against a grave and tells him, it won't be long now. I tried to protect you, son, but they caught up with us. I wanted to tell you sooner, no matter what anyone tries to do, I will never leave you. They won't break us apart again. They will try to get rid of me, but I won't leave you alone again. This is really, I think, a culminating scene for us, both emotionally and figuring out what's happening here. I love this scene. It was so, yeah. it was filled with emotion, just like all these pivotal scenes. Like, it's filled with intensity and emotion. And 
the writer does not, again, he does not just tell us straight up. He still does it in a, in a storied fashion that you have to follow the scene. And then it's finally told to you, even though you know. Yeah. You're still waiting. I was pretty sure at that point. Yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, but we don't reach the climax until Angie and Darlene approach. And Elliot turns to see Mr. Robot, but figures out that he's gone. And all we see is the grave he was leaning on. And as he reads it, we see that it was the father. And we're certain now that he is dead. Mm -hmm. The girls mm -hmm. start asking Elliot who he was talking to. And then he looks down and we see that he's bleeding. And he's the one limping. And so yeah. we know for sure now it's been him, him the whole time. time. And Elliot says, didn't you see him? We see that confusion and, and almost fear building in Elliot's face mm -hmm. in this moment. And finally, he looks at us and he says, you knew all along, didn't you? You're going to make me say it, aren't You're gonna you? Make I'm me Mr. Say Robot. It. Yeah. <laughs> you knew all along, didn't you? Huh? Elliot, who do you think you've been talking to? You're gonna make me say it, aren't you? I am Mr. Robot. That was great. Oh, I just man. love that uh, it was at his tombstone. I mean, it could be a little cliche, but that's when you get the Edward Alderson. You know, that that's the father there. Yeah. And, you know, Darlene and Angie are there and they're worried about him and he can't run from it anymore. He's no. got to face the fact that he's not there. And he still denies it. He's still, didn't you see him? Didn't you see him? He was right here. And he's looking around for him. And yeah, that's before he, he says, uh, you're going to make me say it. A few things, like Christian Slater knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Him and Elliot deserve some kind of award. Yeah. Let's be honest. Rami's been amazing in this, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. especially Rami's changing emotions in his face throughout this scene. Uh, just from one moment to the next, you can feel what's going on internally for him. Right. Even without him saying anything, you just the looks on his face, you can feel his emotion. Yeah. And when you go and watch it again, watch how Christian Slater, Mr. Robot, kind of folds into his grave right before... The, yeah, oh yeah, he the, like he leans down against it and kind of like yeah. melts into it, and I don't know the way he acted. It was so emotional, but also depicts him going back into his grave. Well, yeah, and even that. the That's physical yeah. manifestation of as he's disappearing, it's almost like this is when the personality is being reabsorbed into the psyche and the being of Elliot, because that's when we see him starting to bleed and starting to take on the limp, and it's almost exactly what Jamal was questioning when we talked last episode about multiple personalities or split psyche, and I was talking about needing to reintegrate. It's like the personalities are reintegrating in that moment, and Elliot is becoming fully aware and fully himself again for the first time the whole season. Yeah. yeah. The main difference between Fight Club and Mr. Robot is that Ed Norton feels free once he figures it out. Elliot feels tormented yeah he feels like shit and scared and like he lost whatever balls he had slash didn't have but really had i you mean know? mr robot is his confident psyche mm -hmm. even though he doesn't know that it was his. he's being him at the time 
He's a guy that can do things that Elliot's nervous about doing or afraid mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. But he can't own that as part of himself. The only way he's been able to access that is seeing it as a separate entity. So will that be our journey into season two, seeing Elliot grapple with trying to internalize and integrate these parts of himself into one personality? Yeah. Then we move on to at the train station again, where Angie tells Elliot that she envies him, that she wishes she could talk to her mother again, even if she wasn't real. And we see a true physical connection when they hug and Elliot reciprocates. Yeah, he finally hugs someone back. That yeah. was a big hug. They hugged. Yep. Oh, yeah. In the first episode. But not embraced. Like, I Elliot mean, they, really... they came close to kissing each other at that mm. point in the first episode. And then Terry Colby's thing broke on the, on the news. Oh, that's but right. they were they're really close. He's I mean, obviously he remembers Angie through his whole life. Mm-hmm. So they have a strongest connection. Yeah, this is different, I think, him being him again in this moment and them reconnecting in that way. Yeah. Um yeah. and then I think it, it parallels the next part where we see Darlene and Elliot on the train together and she's pushing him, telling him that he needs to talk about this even if he doesn't want to. Given their mission, she needs to know how much he remembers. And that's when she questions him, do you remember when we first started F Society? Well, yeah, at least we I can't know, wait for that answer. We know now it's that the two of them started it together and it yes. wasn't just Elliot. Which makes all the more sense with that dialogue that they had the first time we met her. Right. Outside of the arcade. Where's your boss? Yeah. Yeah. And ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but what is the importance of that going to be, the timeline? Why is she bringing his memory back to that and saying it's, it's a pivotal moment for him? There must have been something that clicked, something that happened that made his psyche start to do this split and to use his father, quote-unquote, to get the balls to get this rolling. Well, I mean, if yeah. corporations and money and all that are, they feel this corporation is what killed the father. Mm-hmm that they gave him this disease. Yeah. And then they say, well, what made this corporation act this way? And they put it down to money. And if they want to get rid of that type of hold on people, that that's what they would go after to do that. I mean, that's their goal is to take it down. Right. So it kind of makes sense. That yeah. Way. And the questioning continues when they're back in Elliot's apartment and he asked Darlene if they should quit the hack. And Darlene tells him, even if he doesn't remember, the reasons for doing this are real. And he was the one to come up with the idea in the first place. It's the right thing to do. Um, we also see that he's been dumping all of his medications out. So Darlene leaves to go get him new medicine, I guess, furthering the idea that he really can't function until he's back on stable ground. Uh, yeah. P.S. We see the dog. Dog yeah. is yeah. back. <laughs> I had actually fish. texted, yeah, no fish, but I actually texted no, he was, Ryan. I, he was there. Oh, the you fish saw bowl the fish? was there. I saw the fish bowl. Shit. It was dark. Very dark, but I saw it. <laughs> so I couldn't see if he was actually inside there. <laughs> Remember I texted Keith you, I was David. like, where the hell are the fish and the dog? Yeah. And then I'm like, what? Never <laughs> mind. There's They're there. <laughs> yeah, and Elliot talks to us again for the last time in this episode. He asks us, what would we do if we were in his shoes? He's crazy, but the plan isn't, is it? It is a pretty crazy plan. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, but that's what has to happen. You got to ask yourself if the way things are being done is the right way that they're being done. 
mm-hmm. you know, just because we're used to it being this way, is that the way that it should be? Yeah, you're right. We have two more scenes for this episode. The first is that night Terry Colby offers Angela a job. She returns home to find him sitting with her father. Terry tells her he knows all about her, what she's done to get to the position she is now at All Safe, and that people have taken an interest in her at E Corp, especially due to what she did to start up the lawsuit, and he can get her a job. He knows the lawsuit will pay big money, but it isn't going to go through for seven years or more. It'll exhaust her legal team. Basically, she needs to do something in the meantime and can't get a tech job anywhere else. And also that if she wants to change things, maybe she should try to change them from within. Well, obviously, there's some kind of underlining. It's a trap. Yeah, it's got to be. But I have a feeling she takes it because that could be one of the sub storylines in next season. I just I, I keep know. thinking, what the hell so they going to do against next her? She could be the mole morality right now. Yes, I don't think she's. I think she would have to be a, pushed into some kind of breaking point in order to take it uh, at that. I don't know if she's at yet. We might get that. I don't point. think she yeah. is, Next. but she didn't join F Society as we theorized could be a possibility. So I don't really see any other route that keeps her plot interesting True. moving mm-hmm. further. Yeah, unless she has her own. Thing, another thing going on. I mean, she's been turned down from the lawyer to fight for that side of things. She never really got in with Elliot on his side of things, so I'm not sure. We could put that out to the listeners. What are other possibilities for her advancement? I think she takes it, and I think that's one of the, the storylines next season. It's, I mean, it has to be in there for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> I think she could take it and maybe go with the angle that Terry's saying, trying to change things from within where it's actually possible. Um, the timeline is given, however, that she does need to tell them her decision by tomorrow. Like tomorrow. These people work fast. You have yeah. 24 hours. Why did that guy have two thugs with him? I mean, they were dressed in suits, but obviously they were his muscle. What was he worried about? I don't know. <laughs> He's probably getting harassed from everyone now that this is back in the public eye Plus, again. Wait, well, he's going to see the father whose wife died. Oh, true. Because of them. That too. And that's the whole background story. Yeah. So You're right. I wonder what they were talking about before he got there. It yeah, seemed they like they a little conversing. tense, but the, it wasn't like no one was irate. He wasn't no. ready to kill him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, finally, left without any other option, Tyrell visits Elliot at his home and threatens him into revealing F Society's plan. He says he knows Elliot's been behind all of it, saying you're the one constant in the sea of variables, at which point he puts on his gloves. He confesses murder to Elliot, saying something so tremendous done by something so simple. In that moment, it's just you and absolute power. That moment stayed with me. I thought I felt guilty for being a murderer, but I don't. I feel wonder. Now, again, there's light piano starting to play in the background as this scene builds. And Elliot leads him into the office in the arcade, and he starts explaining what they've been doing and the plan behind all of this. So, yeah, that light piano is the Pixies song, Where's My Mind? That song became huge for Fight Club. It was in the promos for it. And then the timing of it in this episode... And where it happened in Fight Club, I think, is really key. Basically, Elliot's about to tell Tyrell his whole plan and that it's all in motion. 
He tells him that they've got the hack going already. It's encrypting all the files, and it's going to delete the encryption key. So those files, they're gone after yeah. it finishes. And the song is playing all through. And once it once they go to the after, right as Tyrell says Wonder, that's when the Pixie song starts picking up and the piano Pixie part for it. So, And then in Fight Club... The song is playing at the end when Marla comes up after Edward Norton. Spoiler for anyone that's never yeah. seen Fight Club. It's an amazing movie. I would turn this off right now and go watch, watch it, it before <laughs> listening to the rest. So Edward Norton shoots himself in the head, thus getting rid of Tyler Durden. And he's talking to Marla. Marla comes in and he doesn't really reveal what's going on, but she's there and all the buildings start exploding. These are all financial buildings with the credit card records in them. He says to her, you've met me at a really strange time or a really weird time and holds her hand. And he's telling her like this was him. And Elliot's telling him, you know, his whole ah. plan at that point in time. <laughs> and I just thought it was really interesting how they paralleled the two in yeah. that. And that's how I know, or at least how I felt that, it's going to happen. It's, it wasn't that this could still be stopped in mm -hmm. some way, that it, this is happening, that it's going to, they're going to succeed, basically. Yeah. That's, that's what it feels to me. Yeah, and I think that culminated when Terrell asked what he hoped to accomplish by all of this, and Elliot said, I don't know. I wanted to save the world. But I was left with a question after this scene. When Terrell asked him who was part of this, why does Elliot tell him it was only him involved, him that did all of this? Well, I think he just can't trust Tyrell at yeah, all. And, and Tyrell was at the point, I mean, Elliot may not know this, but he put the gloves on, obvious intimidation factor, yeah. even though Elliot doesn't know that Tyrell beats homeless people up with those gloves yeah. on. So for me, Tyrell going to Elliot there is, this is his last chip to cash in. Mm -hmm. This is the only thing that he has left where he can maybe get some leverage back where he can find out what Elliot's doing and then maybe take it back to E-Corp and stop what's going on or get some information and, and figure it out and maybe save his job and save his family. And then the other part is once he finds it out, it seems like he's ready to join. And this is him fighting with himself where he met him. He talks about God and looking above <laughs> what his goals were. Uh. And that changing the world might be closer to this. Yeah, well, it makes total sense from Terrell's point of view. But from Elliot, I was back and forth on... I think he was aware that Terrell was threatening him. But I think at the same time, I felt pulled between, you know, is Elliot really trying to reach out to somebody who might share his own point of view in going after something so big? And he just can't help himself once he starts explaining. But to tell him this whole story, you know, like, these are the great things that I did. These were the right. hacks that I pulled off. This is the master plan. Um, but then he pulls back in telling him who was involved. It was just a strange place to get cautious. And, and I wondered if some of that might not be Elliot's own confusion. First instinct when I heard it, though, was definitely, are they real? You know, <laughs> right, uh, <I> <laughs> right. There's a few things. I think... One of our questions at the end of this episode, and I'll say it right now anyways, is that, is it bad that Tyrell is going to be a part of F Society? Yeah. And um, 
obviously, you know, the first initial reaction is, yeah, he, he's mental right now. Right. Nothing's good gone and he, gone for him, and it's, he's always been about himself for the good of his own. But at the same time, Elliot right now has lost his mental muscle. Right. He's lost his father, quote unquote. And Tyrell could be that mental muscle or that muscle. I guess Tyrell at least has the psyche to, well, in a sense, yeah. to at least manipulate things into his advantage, or at least it seems like he tries to. It's a little different from the way yeah. Elliot does things. Yeah, uh, and I think Elliot fell into that in a way, almost enchanted by his Tyrell's desire to be part of this and his mm-hmm. vision about something bigger, yeah. and he wanted to share that for a moment with him. And at this point, this particular thing that they're happening, that F Society is doing is already in motion, so Tyrell can't really help. But I think going into next season again, Tyrell may be more integral to F Society and what they need. That's what I've been... I mean, I read some stuff on Reddit, and people are basically saying that they don't see what Tyrell can add to this and question whether or not he's going to make it out of there because of what Darlene left in the popcorn. popcorn, yes. So there's a gun in the popcorn. Yeah, I rewatched that scene several times and I didn't see the gun there. Did you guys actually see that? I didn't see the gun, but she put it there in the last episode. And they showed it starting to pop. Right. She buried it in there. I don't know if Elliot knows it's there. I, I don't think he does. Probably not, but he eats popcorn all the time. Yeah, there. why would he? I don't know. It's his like, favorite thing to well, eat. Well, Mr. Robot did, right? That's right, yeah. So maybe Elliot won't. Oh, maybe not. Mm. Uh, we have one of our listeners that spoke on this subreddit to us. Uh, Kool-Aid is the shit, stated, out of every single thing that happened in this amazing episode, the one thing I want to know that's bugging me the most is why Tyrell put on latex gloves before him and Elliot left to go to the F Society HQ. I mean, he already touched the door and left fingerprints. Why did he put them on? That's going to drive me crazy until next Wednesday. Now, I, I wrote we back to him. That. I said, uh, trying to put on the gloves could be just like how he beat up the homeless man so it's part of his ritual or also or and it's an intimidation factor but i do understand what kool-aid is the shit is saying the cut was very weird uh uh, the way they cut that scene and went right to them being in the arcade it was like he said what he had to say. He put on his gloves. They panned away, and then all of a sudden, they're at the arcade. Uh, okay. You were kind of looking for something in there, you know? Oh, That's okay. Amazing. So Elliot just said, "All right, follow me." You know, like. Yeah, I think it's one of those gaps that Jamal was talking about last episode, where they're leaving it up to the viewer to fill in the spaces that we're not seeing. I also took it that that action of Terrell is more a ritual that gets him mentally prepared for something. I don't know if it's as much um, practically a move for him to not leave DNA or whatever, but it's his mind gearing up for whatever it is he has to do. But I think that what we're not seeing is him being taken aback by Elliot's immediate um, readiness to share the plan with him. He thought he would have to do more to get involved in this, and Elliot probably jumped on that. Yeah. Although there's this underlying thing that I just thought about now with the gloves is that Tyrell doesn't want to get dirty at all. And no, it's he, he puts the gloves on with the homeless guy. Well, he does fold his suit up and put it on the dirty mailbox or whatever. But, you know, he has sex with the, that guy and he t- talks to him about 
he doesn't like dirtiness. I mean, even he's using it to get him to take a shower so he can get his, uh, you know, he can hack into his cell phone. But it it maybe just be that Tyrell really doesn't want to get his. It's a metaphor to, for Tyrell not wanting to get his hands dirty, ever. Well, it, even but he gets into these situations yeah. where he has to. And right, or just detaching from that part of himself that has to follow through those physical actions of getting blood on his hands. Right. We also have uh, Gunslinger eighty seven that wrote on that thread. He mirrored a lot of what you thought, oh, Ryan. Okay. But also he added to it. Uh, not, not sure if this has been mentioned anywhere on this sub before, but Tyrell really reminds me of Patrick Bateman, and I feel like his character was greatly influenced by the American Psycho. Oh, okay. And I can see that in, re- in, a little, in regards to, you know, he wanted to be great in this corporate America, mm-hmm. and he was very self-serving. He, he wasn't look. as much of a murderer or killer, at least not yet. As Patrick Bateman, but yeah, there's very similar traits. I think he has that look in general. Yeah, out of him, the the I I guess they casted it that way that they wanted him to look like him. So yeah, I, I thought it looked it was very. Do you similar. think he flexes That's what get- in a bedroom of mirrors while having sex? <laughs> uh, maybe no. <laughs> Room is full of plastic. Well, somebody else on Reddit also had a comment about Tyrell joining the team and says that it could be good or bad depending on what the wife wants. And we haven't talked about that, Joanna, how Tyrell seems to be working for her, not anyone else. He says all of his moves seem to come from trying to give her what she wants until we know why she wants her husband to be doing the things she's doing and how that meshes with F Society's goals. He's a wild card. Yeah, I can see that, but I, I, I don't know. I... Or I don't expect as much out of her anymore. Like Me neither. I, I, I feel like she she's lost some strength, that she's yes. not as strong of a character as she was before. And we've seen Tyrell do uh, things that she doesn't want or yep. just Killing. Like, freak out. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. That's one. I mean, she just wanted him to have sex with her. Yeah. So, <laughs> For God's sakes. Yeah. Well, somebody else also says that they think Tyrell's been in F Society for quite some time, which we have also questioned. Maybe even before we see Elliot and Tyrell meet, maybe Elliot just doesn't remember the first time. He finds it interesting that the help desk guy talking to Gideon mentioned that the order for the server to stay online came straight from Tyrell after he had been fired, leading him to believe he is aware of F Society and their plan. So, you know, there's a lot of questions, too. When did Tyrell actually become involved? What are his motives? And maybe some of those gaps that we're not seeing here have explanations for those things. I was thinking about that too, uh, how long he had been in there. And if the plan was to kill Sharon, I really don't think of the, with the way they reacted that it was, but if he killed Sharon to throw the whole company off, they're going to have this big investigation going in. So they're not really going to be paying as much attention to their normal everyday jobs going on. All right, so this is the part of the episode where I ask some questions um, to get your brains moving. And this time we, we asked some questions in a subreddit in regards to the Coffee Clash Crew podcast, and we got a great deal of responses. And uh, so I'm going to ask the questions, and I'll give you some of the answers. Then you guys give me your answers, and I'll give you a couple more of the answers. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so what we asked was... What secrets about his father did Elliot tell that he always feels guilty about? Because mm. I, I was hung up on that when 
Christian Slater, Mr. Robot, was speaking to Elliot, saying, you've always felt guilty about what you've said or told. Right. The bearded Pole said, he told people about his cancer, despite Mr. Robot not wanting anyone to know. This has been already established. Elliot feels he broke a sacred pact and he has conducted subconscious self-harm due to it twice already. I agree with that. I agree with that, yeah. But I think there's yeah, got to be more to it. Yeah. yeah, who did he tell and when and why was that such a big deal? I think the flashback gives an indication to that in the beginning of the episode where his father is in the shop and he starts coughing and he's trying to cover it up and he doesn't want the son to hear. So why is he hiding it from people? Um, I thought maybe there was potentially a plan to get some kind of settlement out of E-Corp or to fake his own death. I mean, once I found out none of that was happening, I still think he could have had a plan that he was trying to follow up on and Elliot telling people about that might have busted that up. Grindlebone also uh, mirrored that same answer. So thank you, Grindlebone. Question number two. What is Terry and E-Corp's angle with hiring Angie? The bearded pole responded with, it's definitely controlling the lawsuit and perhaps gaining more insight into the all-safe fiasco. I mean, they kind of said that it was already going to, the lawsuit was going to happen. They're going to drag it out. It is basically just a lawsuit. We didn't talk about this before, but they said once they heard about the leak, that they put the money they thought it would take to for the lawsuit into a fund, and that fund has grown five times its yeah. amount already. Lawsuit... They don't care they don't about care. it at all. They just they'll see drain money. them it's for all the money all and then give dollars. Two hundred. What do you say? Two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Two hundred fifty million. Yeah, I don't even crazy. I remember. Yeah, more than that, the fact that everybody at E Corp was actually impressed by Angie's gumption and ability to bring up the lawsuit and find the proof and do what it took to get this moving. That's actually why they want her to work for them. So well, they've saying. seen this ruthless, manipulative side of Angie that we haven't been so privy to up until now. And are we going to get more of a glimpse of that into her if she does decide to work for E-Corp? And how will they exploit that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If she does go full gung-ho with this and gets caught up in it, and they could be Elliot versus Angie. That would be crazy. At some point. Yeah. And they have been kind of tearing it. Tearing a... Right. They're already breaking apart already. Yeah. Grindlebone stated, E-Corp's motive, I think, is simply to co-opt someone with skill, to bring Angela into the fold so that they can use her. Like Colby said, they've actually made money from the fund set up to pay for the spill, and will probably make a good bit more before it's used for the actual payout. But finding someone who, starting from almost nothing, managed to finally make a move that caused the payout, that's gold for them. E-Corp's probably always hurting for true talent. For people who can really do things, as opposed to most workers who'd settle into middle management bliss, as Colby put it. That kind of talent warrants husbanding and forgiveness over whatever transgressions against the company that talent might have committed. So again, it mirrors what we were saying. Yeah, and I think the weakness they're going to exploit ultimately with Angie to get her involved is the financial hole that her and her father are both in right now. And that's going to get worse somehow for her father. And it's going to be the emotional thing that pulls at Angie to need to take a job. And also, like I said before, just her desire to change things from within. Question number three. Darlene asks Elliot if he remembers when they started F Society. That has us all very intrigued. Did he start it as Mr. Robot? or as Elliot. 
Bearded Pole said, he probably started it thinking he's Mr. Robot. This would be around the time that Mr. Robot started emerging due to Elliot stopping his meds. And you know what? I never thought about the meds until this episode. Right. And I think Bearded Pole is definitely correct about that. I remember it being brought up, uh, you know, when he was seeing the psychiatrist or that she kept asking him if he was taking him and he would just say, of course, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that goes back to what we said about why was he in the court-mandated psychiatry in the first place, and maybe that does stem back to them starting F Society and something that occurred that caused him to have to see the therapist. Right. And so why did he go off his meds in the first place? That's a good question. Hmm. I don't know. But uh, for this, I don't know. I think that um, if it was Darlene and Elliot... I, I think that it was Elliot that started it, and then he forgot, and she's asking him to remember. She did outright say that. She said that it was his idea in the first place, even if right. he doesn't remember now, that there was something they were doing that he came up with because he thought it was right. So what were the ultimate goals? I think, you know, I'm thinking Elliot started it as well, but when it got too difficult, that's when he needed his father, quote-unquote, to come and, and take over. With the hard parts. Right. And that actually mirrors what Grindelbone said as well. I wonder if uh, Elliot had had this episode before with his father, right? It seems like that his father had come before him. And if the meds suppress him, maybe when he started F Society, Mm -hmm. he didn't think that he could do it on his own without his father's help. He knew that his father would get him through the hard parts. Yeah. And open him up, and that's why he stopped taking the meds because yeah. he knew that it would bring him back. You might be right. I get, you know, I don't know at this point, I don't know what to expect from episode 10. Normally, with shows and it comes to the final episode, like I am, I know what I want, but they've given me so much. I'm like, what, what else more could I want? And I think that's a great way to go into a finale because I don't think no matter what they have, we'll be disappointed. Yeah, and a lot of it's probably going to be set up for season two, but I don't think it's going to be boring. I just have so much faith in this show. I like it. I like what I've seen from the uh, sneak preview of what's happening next next week. I want to thank everyone from Reddit and um, everyone who emailed us for getting in contact with us. We couldn't get everyone's comments on this podcast, but... Um, you know, it doesn't go unnoticed. Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. And keep writing in. We would love to hear what you have to say about this and the next episode. We will be doing a review for the season finale. And I think we might have something big in store for us, Jason. I think so. With the conclusion of season one of Mr. Robot, I think we're going to watch... Hopefully it's good. If it's not, we're going to abandon that. But I think we're going to watch Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah. Should be good. If there's any other shows in particular that you guys want us to cover, please email us. And again, if you have any comments about this episode or the following episode after it airs, you can email us at contact at coffeeclasscrew.com and also keep an eye out on Reddit and the subreddit forums for... Mr. Robot will be on there again. Yeah, but I also meant, what is the thing that's in store for us in the season finale of Mr. Robot? Didn't we get a little... Oh my goodness, I can't believe I almost forgot. So, those of you, you know, it's not that much of a secret anymore, but if you don't know, for the final episode, 
keep watching it, even after the credits. They have somewhat of a surprise for us, kind of like a Marvel movie. Oh, okay. And I'm very oh. intrigued to see what they do. Nice. Maybe Mr. Robot is alive, and he's like, no, I'm Maybe he lives. Yeah, I think after the episode ends and the, the credit the rolls, we're going to get one last surprise. And I can't wait for that. So watch Mr. Robot, and you know that it goes about seven minutes over the hour already. Right. So set watch it past DVRs the credits. Up. Yeah, definitely set your DVRs to go at least a half hour after 11. I heard that they were going to put stuff in the next episode that's playing after that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, write in and tell us what you think that surprise is going to be. And is it going to have anything to do with the Who is Mr. Robot website or something on the internet as well? Oh, yeah. Remember last episode I said, what if they just go and they break into all of our computers? Yeah. And they're like, hello, friend. Mm -hmm. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, I'm going to have the site pulled up just in case. All right. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week, this round is on me. Brown cow bows hat. Brown cow bows hat. Brown cow bows hat. Brown cow bows hat. Please hang up and try again.